Hello and welcome to another episode of the High Mesa Mystic Show. I've been on a slight hiatus while working on other projects, but as I get the show back up and running this fall, I'm very pleased to bring you today's guest, Rebecca Hardcastle-Wright. I met Rebecca a few years back as I was digging deeper into my own memories and experiences from early childhood, and more recently I joined one of Rebecca's Exoconscious Coaching programs. In a moment, I'll read Rebecca's full bio and jump right into the interview. Side note, please excuse my voice in this interview as I was at the end of an unusually intense bout of allergies. I'm glad you're here because now more than ever, it's up to each one of us to develop our awareness and discernment about the events unfolding in the world around us. Rebecca shares valuable insights from her own lifelong contact experiences and brings a critically important perspective of how exoconsciousness can assist us as individuals as well as humanity itself as it develops beyond its current state. And now here's Rebecca's full bio. Rebecca Hardcastle-Wright, PhD, is the co-creator of Exoconsciousness. She is a futurist, author, coach, and host of Exoconscious Humans TV. In 2016, Rebecca founded the Institute for Exoconsciousness to advance experiencers, self-knowledge, and co-creations. Exoconsciousness is the innate human ability to contact, communicate, and co-create with ETs, spiritual and multidimensional beings. It advances emotional integration and psychic intelligence and promotes innovations to ease humanity's healthy transition into the post-disclosure era. A lifelong contactee, Rebecca's online individual and group exoconscious coaching and co-creative intensives strengthen and integrate participants' psychic experiences to advance their contributions, expertise, and leadership. Her newest book, Exoconscious Humans Will Free Will Survive in an Increasingly Non-Human World examines the future through the intersection of AI and psychic intelligence. Exoconscious Humans TV YouTube features tools and techniques for living a post-disclosure life. As Washington, D.C. Representative, Rebecca was a member of Apollo 14 astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell's Quantrek International Science Team researching consciousness the ET presence, and zero-point energy. Rebecca is also a therapist at Mind Body Medicine in Scottsdale, Arizona, specializing in healing trauma, the often unconscious root of disease, to to generate health and longevity. Hello and welcome to the High Mesa Mystic Show. Today we have a special guest with us, Rebecca Hardcastle-Wright. Rebecca, so I shared with the audience the your full bio. I thought before we get too far, I just wanted to ask if there's anything you want to add to the bio. Sure, it's Oops. great. Thank you. <laughs> bio is awesome. What's kind of a, what's kind of exciting or energizing you the most these days? Because you're you know your bio, there's a lot you've done and there's a lot you're doing. Like, what's is there a focal point or kind of what what's kind of most um, energizing right now? So I think the most energizing things I'm doing right now include. Uh, working with experiencers and the exoconscious coaching and getting them to empower themselves as an experiencer, number one, and to um, know that they have a voice in disclosure that's happening right now. And number two, um, not only disclosure, but that they have a voice in the advancement of the species right now. Oh. That's one of my primary issues. Um, number two, um, 
the this exoconscious experiencers community, helping them to and myself. The the second thing that I'm 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 energized by is helping all of us and myself to move more into co-creation, believing that the types of innovations and inventions that we bring forth as an exoconscious community are going to be used by the rest of the planet and the cosmos because we're doing it in a co-creative way, but that they're going to be a different consciousness type of technology than an AI consciousness technology. So it will be more um, based and grounded in natural human consciousness as opposed to an artificially engineered consciousness. Those are the two things that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited by. <laughs> yeah, no small task there that you're describing. <laughs> um, yeah, full transparency. I've, I've mentioned exoconscious coaching in previous uh, podcasts, and it's interesting hearing you say the words out loud to, you know, work with experiencers to know they have a voice. And um, because I literally would probably not have even started the podcast, or obviously you and I wouldn't be having this conversation had I not um, been part of that experience. So thank you for that. So. It, 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 the way you lay that out is very interesting. I've, there, are, we've got a lot to talk about, but just kind of at the outset, this sort of like delineation between how exoconsciousness can help. Well, the role exoconsciousness will play in one sort of path forward for humanity, and and as you mentioned, right, it's not just about what's going on on this planet, you know. So that path versus kind of the other path, right? Kind of the transhumanist AI. How obviously we're in it now, like it's everywhere and we're facing it, dealing with it. How far back do you see that, that going in our history? Like, is it a recent thing or is it, do you see it as like more ancient? Like, I'm just kind of curious what your take is. Well, I think in recent contemporary history, in terms of technocracy and transhumanism, it certainly goes back to the mid to late 1800s. Um, that was, you know, philosophically, it was being discussed at that point as a possibility. And then certainly in the 1930s, especially at Columbia University, they were bringing it forth as um, technocracy, transhumanism slash technocracy. So just for your uh, listeners, technocracy yeah. is an economic system based on transhumanism. Okay, it's not a political system. That's kind of why our political systems fall apart. It's an economic system. And that was certainly being talked about in the 1930s and um, in the academic communities. Now, going back prior to that, I would have to say um, anybody that's gone into mystery school knowledge um, knows a lot about the previous civilizations and certainly the uh, Atlantean civilizations. Somebody like Rudolf Steiner would say we're in the sixth Atlantean evolution right now. So yeah. he was saying that there's been five before where we are right now. Yeah. Um so absolutely, it's ancient. It's something that humans have always, um, it, it, it's almost like, um, I, I, I sometimes equate our human relationship with technology to our human relationship to our emotions. So especially as, as a human, we have these emotions and these passions boiling up inside of us. And we're either going to manage them for the betterment of our life and our family and our children and our career and our community, or we're just going to let loose with it. I think I think tech 
technology is the same thing. Um, we're either going as a species, we're going to be able to maturely manage it or we're just going to cut loose and just, oh, um, I have it, therefore I'm going to use it any way I can. So for, for the exoconscious community, we really stand by uh, autonomous moral sovereignty. So we believe that we as autonomous humans have a personal sovereignty invested in this situation of who we are as humans, where we're at as a species at this point, but that it's based on some kind of ethics and morality that manage looking at all sides of this issue. The book on, I don't have the title right in front of me, I apologize, but the the role of free will, right? Is this kind of where that, that comes into play when we talk about sovereignty and autonomy? Is, is free will kind of the key piece of that? Oh, absolutely. And then, and, and, and then of course we have the, the deniers that are like, oh no, you know, we live in a simulation. There is no free will, you know, transhumans love to throw that one out. You know, they're, they're scientists and professors. It's that's, that, that's their favorite comeback. You live in a simulation. Well then why are you bothering being a professor? If you live in a simulation, you just (laughs) goofing around and you just playing a game. And I think especially the way they've moved gaming into the culture, everybody just assumes everything's a game. Right. Because that's where they spend growing up in one way or the other. That's where they're spending hours of their life daily playing a game. So when someone comes by and says, you don't really have any free will, you're in a simulation game, you just, oh, yeah, cool. I think it would be probably pretty shocking to most people to really see in black and white the amount of energy and money and resources that have gone into the gaming world, right? Like if we were to add up the amount of like minutes spent, you know, with humans plugged into the game systems, um, it'd probably be plugged pretty- Plugged in being the- Being the <laughs> term, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, literally plugged in. It's pretty crazy. Um, So yeah, there's so much- so. Thinking about the, so the definition of exoconsciousness, it's, it is in your bio, but just, I'm just going to reread it. There are a couple key points I wanted to kind of just dive into. Exoconsciousness is the innate human ability to contact, communicate, and co-create with ETs, spiritual, and multidimensional beings. It advances emotional integration and psychic intelligence and promotes innovations to ease humanity's healthy transition into the post-disclosure era. So, I guess one quick question that just kind of is hitting me when we talk about maybe these cycles or these, you know, like if we've been through this before, do you feel exoconsciousness was, was there also like in these previous iterations? Absolutely. Yeah. I I knew it was because it wasn't a word that I came up with on my own. uh, So I don't know if your listeners want to know the story, but I, yeah, yeah if you, I think it'd be good to run through because it it's, this is kind of the exoconscious piece of it. And a lot of what I want to talk to you about are more about your experience. So I think that'd be great. So um, so I'm a childhood experiencer. So I had very vivid experiences as a child um, going into the craft, having extraterrestrial visitation in my bedroom. Um, my first conscious memories were around the age of three. I also simultaneously had experiences as a child being pulled under the ground. So I had this, um, probably if I was, if I, if I had been an adult and that happened to me, I would have been very confused because I was a child. I just accepted that 
these two dimensions that I was active in were related to each other. Interesting. So it, it wasn't incongruous. So right. someone would look at that and say, well, that's incongruous. How, how could you be under the ground and be up in the craft? And you knew that that's just totally different. Huh? That doesn't make any sense. That's craziness. That's like split personality. But it wasn't. It was as a child, I didn't have the uh, analytical abilities to pull that apart and examine it and question it. So it was that all very much fit together. And then um, then I went on, I always read deeply into the subjects of, you know, es esoteric and, and um, the early ufology that was coming out. And, and then um, when I was in my mid forties, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I, uh, and we can talk about, Maybe I ought to put this in here now because I always say in the exoconscious community, write your exoconscious autobiography because if you don't, you miss really important things that you could be sharing with people and most importantly, be sharing with yourself. So when I looked at the places that I had lived, so I was I was born in Clarksburg, West Virginia, a small um, mining town, very porous. So I knew as a child that there was underground activity going on and that I could access it. Now, maybe it was a shaman tendency. I don't know. So I moved from there and I went to um, actually a smaller town, an even smaller town called Buchanan, West Virginia. And I, it was just, it was a small college town, West Virginia, Wesleyan University was there. And, um, and I was kind of like pulled even deeper into that more mines and more more mining industry, more underground when I lived there. More, I got to know people who were actually miners and, you know, um, and, and that sort of thing. Then, um, then my father was given the opportunity to go to Dayton, Ohio. So my father was extremely well-educated. He went to Columbia University and got his PhD, and he was a, a pastor of a church, and so he was very, very well educated. He, we were a Church of the Brethren. He was Church of the Brethren, which is actually a, a um, an American denomination founded by the abolitionists. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so he was part of that denomination, and he went to a Brethren seminary in Dayton, Ohio, and then he he, he, came, he came from West Virginia, and then he um, subsequently then went to Columbia University for his PhD in theology. So he, he, we, we moved from West Virginia to um, Dayton, Ohio. And my father ends up being brought in to eventually, in a year or so, become the lead pastor of a German speaking Methodist church. Oh. So well, now then we think Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Area, um, area, a uh, hangar eighteen, right. extraterrestrials. Okay, so here we go, and I'm thinking my church had a lot of engineers who were scientists. The paperclip people came to Dayton. A, a big contention of the paperclip people came to Dayton and were put in Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So here I am, junior high school. I am all of a sudden I'm in this other area of life and yeah. history. And I'm thinking, you know, as an adult, then I'm thinking, wow, you know, did I, did I like no paperclip people? Right. 
you know, my dad's passed on. The minister yeah. that they replaced has passed on. There's really no one for me to ask at this point. But it makes perfect sense because how many German-speaking churches were there? Probably <laughs> hardly any. And, the, and those and those scientists stayed there. As a matter of fact, um, as an adult, I, I my husband and I lived down the street from what's called Runnymede Playhouse, where the uh, Man- Manhattan Project occurred. Oh wow! So it's like here here it goes again. General LeMay, his family was friends with my family at right piece of one that gold member goldwater said to general lemay said ask ask general lemay at wright patterson about about the ufos about the extraterrestrials and general lemay you know cursed back at barry goldwater and you know don't don't ask me that blank 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 question again or i'll blank 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 you (laughs) and um so it's like and then as an adult i'm like working as an ecumenical chaplain at Wright State University, right next door. Yep. In my um, in my mid forties, then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and once again I get pulled into the perfect place to be, and I end up um, I, I I end up in a little town called Fountain Hills, Arizona, for. Some of your listeners, if they went to the International UFO Congress, it used to be held out in Fountain Hills. It's okay. a really beautiful Indian reservation area. I, I lived right next to the reservation. I was like, you know, a couple blocks from the reservation. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm going to, um, I'm attending extraterrestrial experiencer groups. There's one in Fountain Hills. This is like so you before 90s. this before this you weren't were what was your involvement in the kind of that community before that well, time? There really wasn't much of a community until right. really the mid nineties is okay. when it became a community. And here right. I was plopped. So a, a woman named Dr. Ruth Hover led our community, and um, so we would gather monthly and talk about our experiences. There's people in the group that were also with me, uh, Cindy Robinson. Cindy was in our group in the mid nineties. So, um, so Dr. Hover was working at that time when we were meeting, she was working at that time with Dr. John Mack at Harvard. So she, John Mack, Leo Sprinkle, they were trying to put together how to address extraterrestrial experiencers. And that's a whole different subject that we can talk about also but that historically was a reality that it's like the paperclip scientists it's like i just went there i just i moved there that's why i ended up and so as a result of that i'm a single mom um i'm I'm raising three kids at home at that point my um my ex-husband's gone i mean totally left and you know i'm in this really tight to say the least tight financial situation to say the least (laughs) (laughs) and um and uh and i don't have any money to buy books so dr hover has this massive library like three books deep which is books and back of books and back of books right (laughs) and so she's like here read this read this read this and so um i'm reading like crazy um because i don't really have any money to go do anything you know, just trying to raise my kids and give them a life. So my life was reading these books. 
And during that time, there was, it, it, it's almost like there was, it, like, like you're watching, like your life is a series, like a mini series, like a new mini series started in my life. So all of a sudden, it's like these things that had happened to me in childhood start coming back into, into my life. And I, the beings that I was with as a child and some, and many times the experiences I had as a child, they would literally, they, they would come back in my room, for example, at night, I had a lot of orb activity and they, the bees would come back in my, in my room as orbs come across the room, scream in my ears. And then they'd wake me up. I'd be awake and see them. And they would say, and I would be, I would be in my bed. I look up at the ceiling and they would start pushing these symbols down from the ceiling, like, like a 3d, like there's yeah. somebody up in my ceiling pushing down symbols. <laughs> I know. And they would say, you have got to learn these symbols again. You know, you knew it as a child, you have to learn them again. And so one morning during all of this, I, uh, my, uh, alarm clock went off. So I had one of those little inexpensive, um, radio alarm clocks that people had. Yeah. Yep. And so the alarm went off and I, I remember distinctly, I hit that alarm. I fell back in bed and, you know, as a single mother, I'm like, oh my golly, I, I just need <laughs> five more minutes. I got to close my eyes. I'm going to have to get up, go to work, pat the kids lunch, get the kids off to school. I just, I need, I need a breath here. I just, I just need a breath here. And, um, and then, um, all of a sudden I, uh, this word exoconsciousness came in my body and it didn't come from me. What well, it came from me because I was doing all the work to receive it. Totally. So I'll, I'll yeah, say that. Yeah. But it came in and I, uh, I knew then when that happened, that word exoconsciousness, I knew then that that's you know, time to go with that. That's, that's what your mission is. Your mission is going to be exoconsciousness. So that was, that was, that was probably the late nineties when that happened. Okay. Now in 97, in 1997, we had the Phoenix lights in Phoenix, right? right. Largest right. supposed mass sighting in the nation by the Phoenix lights. I have all these friends. I'm going to extraterrestrial experiencer groups, right? Yep. Nobody calls me. Nobody tells me <laughs> about it. I'm I have no desire to go out and look at the skies that night. Yeah. And I didn't see it. <laughs> and initially I thought, well, that <laughs> you know, I, I missed yeah. out on this big deal. But then, you know, a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that are in the, um, in the Phoenix Lights community and were researchers. And then I realized that had I, had I seen the Phoenix Lights, I would probably have become a craft researcher. Interesting. And because I didn't, I'm, I became a consciousness researcher. My focus, it's almost like, don't go see the Phoenix Lights because you need to stay anchored in exoconsciousness. So with that specifically, where do you feel like that was by chance or was it your team working with you or the guided? Like, what's your take? 
in terms of the exoconsciousness or in terms well, of the, the but just that very, yeah just the last bit of it because i have other questions about the earlier parts but yeah just not not having seen it right like it sounds like if you like you said if you had you would be in a different place right now yeah i think part me but also to a greater extent the being so it's the co it's, it's kind of if, yeah emphasis on the co right like yeah. which is different because there are there are people out there that are you know would would share with us that they're more passive they're just channeling or they're just transcribing like and so what you're what you're sharing is kind of a more of a like literally like a true co-creative kind of relationship so back to when your earliest experiences um it's i guess I, what I what I love about the way you described everything is you, it was there wasn't really a lot of language that was polarizing. It wasn't like because there's a lot of that in the community, right? Like there's kind of this. It, oftentimes there can be a vibe of like the aliens are here to save us, or they're here to enslave us, or right. It's kind of pushed into one extreme or the other. But I guess I am curious. Like it, with your experiences, it sounds like you've kind of felt throughout like it's one group or one, you know one kind of consciousness that you're working with like like even when i came back later in life did you kind of have that feeling like these are the same beings from childhood or or was that a process Um, actually the beings in childhood were not they they weren't as diverse as the beings that then came in in adulthood okay do you feel like they were all working together like or is it just different experiences that you've had that you've you've been kind of? I would have to say probably different experiences I had. Yeah. But then again, if I, as a child, was able to to make some kind of cooperation between below ground and in the craft, I think it, there's there's a cooperation that human consciousness is just now beginning to understand. Got it. And with your childhood experiences of the below ground and in the craft, were those was, was that happening at the same time, or were these different? There were experiences where you were in the craft, and other experiences where you were below ground. Well, they were two separate experiences, if that's okay. what you mean. Yeah, time yeah, I wasn't line, sure. Yeah, yeah. timeline wise, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but definitely um, underground was definitely one experience. Underground was very visceral, so I had this very visceral physical feeling of being pulled under and then being there and then being pushed back up. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, the entire time I've, I've been into any of this, I've always felt some sort of a connection to beings that live, you know, it's easy to say inner earth, but it's, there doesn't mean that they're like physically living in secret caverns under the crust of the earth right like there's just it feels like there's a different overlay or a different dimensional thing going on to what we would call inner earth or you know below ground um what i love about child very early childhood experiences and this kind of gets into a whole other topic that i don't you know we'll see where it goes but children in one on the one hand they don't have discernment because they don't have it, they don't have the tools. They don't have the skills or abilities. Or the, but what's also nice about childhood experiences or learning from them is that children don't have the programming, right? So when you are able to finally tap into some of those things, um, you know, for me, I, I, I always have had memory of the childhood experiences, um, but they, what I've thought about those or 
believed about those has changed over time. And it really, it took a long time for me. It was really just in the past few years that I've been able to just go below the programming level or the narrative level or what society would say it was and just ta- kind of tap it. For me, it feels like I'm able to connect with like across time almost with the child consciousness. And, and, and it's in some ways it can be frustrating because right. It's like trying to pull that consciousness into this time, but it, it doesn't work like that, right? You have to kind of go into that consciousness and then see or feel what that, what you were feeling at that time. And it's very raw and it's very like one of the things I've come back to and and I've shared in other interviews is I don't know what I was interacting with. I just know that it wasn't human, right? I don't know if they were from another planet or another dimension. I mean, but, but I, I feel like at a very young age, you're very, you're, it's very clear when you're dealing with something that's not a human being, right? So, yeah. Um, with all of that, right. So I want to get back to the actual conscious thing. I have some questions, but in terms of your experiences, what's your take on kind of the, well, have you asked like, why me? Right. Like you've shared a lot of interesting synchronicities on your journey and you've been at the kind of the right place at the right time. What's your kind of take on like, why, why you versus not others or why, why this for you in this lifetime versus something else? I want to address two two things. Sure. I want to first address the childhood thing because, sure, you know, I really, I really didn't think much about the childhood, you know, because I always, you know, so like in the mid nineties, I'm like getting very analytical and that sort of thing around ufology and extraterrestrials and reading what other people thought about extraterrestrials. And I remember I was being interviewed by Bob Davis. He's a he's a, doing a movie now but he's it was a neuroscientist at ohio state university okay and he was interviewing i can't remember what i was interviewing me for but he's i said something like oh i'm a childhood experiencer and i mean he was the first person that ever said to me oh you've never known anything different wow yeah and i think it's because i was a conscious childhood experiencer that i never knew anything different right i could have also have been an which I think is what we're finding in the exoconscious community. There's a lot of people who are unconscious childhood experiencers. So inevitably we'll have people come into the coaching group and they'll say, um, I don't have anything to offer today because we're talking about birth or childhood experiences. I have nothing to say. All right. And then once, once we're together as a group, and these memories and people are talking and sharing and inevitably they come back in a in a month maybe and say oh i just now remember that yeah i did have these experiences so part of it is there's just not a frame of knowledge for this to be okay to talk about or this to be okay to remember um in in terms of of, of the why me, um, I think as more people become exoconscious, they're, that it's not going to be a why me anymore. It's, it's going to be a, oh, of course it's like this. Yeah. Of course this is what happened. So I'll, I'll track this look back a little bit um, to, to my education. So as I said, I was raised in a minister's home. I was also raised by an intelligent minister who like continually said to me, 
question, 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 question. So yeah. I was always ask a question, please your dad. So <laughs> that sort of stuck with me for for a long time, and um, and so I went to I went to um, I went to seminary. I went to um, got my master's of divinity and in, in philosophical theology. So I studied philosophy and theology, and I knew then. And then I subsequently became a. a uh, inter, an interfaith uh, ecumenical chaplain at, univers- at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. But I knew then that one of the most essential pieces of religion and spirituality was being covered up. Interesting. Yeah. And it had, again, to do with the subjective experience of spiritual beings that weren't allowed to be talked about. And that's why I, I expanded the definition of exoconsciousness to include extraterrestrials, multidimensionals, and spiritual beings. Because the advent of spiritual beings coming to people is very similar to the ways that extraterrestrial multidimensionals come. And I knew that it was that that the that depriving humans of this subjective empowerment, that if you saw Jesus or you saw Buddha, I mean, all religions, if you saw Buddha, uh, if you saw Shiva, that this was really important to you. This was an important experience and you should be listened to and you should be acknowledged for having it. And so, um, that's part of exoconsciousness. And, and I, I think it started, you know, intellectually, it certainly started at that point. I love that. And that was a very specific thing I wanted to talk about today anyways, um, which is how this all works. I, a couple things. One, I that inclusion or that unification of of all of those kinds of experiences, that that's what allowed me to reconnect with some of these memories. Um, if I... You know, I, I've, I was, for me, like I had a couple decades of my life where I was blocking it all out, all of the memories from childhood out. I was kind of disconnected, right? Things were compartmentalized. I was in a very analytical, analytical space and that's all fine. And then when I did start to open up, I was, I, I went down the healing route, the spiritual route, right? And that's kind of its own world. And then it was, I was able to go back and reconnect with those earlier memories. But for me, I don't know, like where I'm at now, I, there they're inseparable, right? And and there's just yeah, you know, there's so much to that. Um, I'm curious what your take is. So in the there's so many things in my mind at once. So in the including that in the definition of exoconsciousness, I'm curious how do you feel that that is received specifically in the inclusion of like the spiritual beings in the community? It's sort of like in the UFO or contactee communities. Is that like what's your take? How like how is it? How do you feel it's received or perceived? Um, so I've spent. So let's talk about a couple of communities here. Sure. So I spent much of my life um, writing emails and making connections with people within the church uh-huh. and within theological schools and academia, academic theological schools. For example, um, when I lived in uh, Washington D.C., the uh, National Archives had a had a presentation on. Um, extraterrestrial knowledge and they brought in uh, a group from i think it was princeton university um 
but it was a Princeton faith group that came in yeah. to talk and was represented. I wrote I wrote emails to every one of them. <laughs> I mean, I you know if I if I look back at my email archive, who I've sent emails to, and um, yeah. n- and nobody ever responds. Right. No, right. No one, and no one in the church ever responds. And um, in terms of the exoconscious community, yeah. Um, well, like I'm so that's the that's interesting because that's kind of the spiritual or the or the religious or the divinity side. So, in the, like, if you think in terms of like UFO, like if you you've like you've gone to some of these conferences, UFO conferences, and contactee things, like, do you meet any resistance on the contactee or UFO side to inclusion of the spiritual stuff? Well, I meet a lot of opposition. I've met a lot. <laughs> I mean, so I started going to the conferences back in, I don't know, Steve Bassett's 2009, 2008, 2007, ex-conferences in Washington, D.C., yeah. um, the International UFO Congresses. Um, and um, so I know a lot of those people. Right. And I would... and. Um, Numerous times I've been told to like be quiet and go to the back of the room. Yeah, that's that's I mean, blatantly so, told to go to the back of the room. So it's interesting. Like, so I, I love how synchronicities work and how you know in us with us having this conversation today, I had sort of another conversation pop up with somebody I've not spoken with before, and that was this morning. And in that case, it was a it was a person who's it was a man who is uh, experiencing some i don't know what you'd call it some maybe resistance or difficulties just because that he's in this spiritual side of things in the spiritual community but that's it can be very sort of female dominated or that feminine that yin very everything's very receptive everything's like all light and love and and so when you bring in some of the more kind of male or masculine energy sometimes it can feel disruptive let's say or for lack of a better word and it just never occurred to me before today right that that's kind of that side of it where that like the spirituality, spiritual beings, right? All of that stuff is is kind of a in our culture at least right now, it's kind of a, a more feminine, right? Kind of energy. And then I'm like, oh, but like the, the contactee UFO space is so right, nuts and bolts and machines and technology and war and intelligence agencies, it's all this it's, it's much more masculine, right? So I wonder if that's part of the resistance or part of the difficulty, because to me Today, I'm looking at this exoconscious thing through sort of a new lens of the the yin yang um, imagery, right? Of it being, a, it, we need to have a unified approach. Is that is that kind of making sense? Well, I think for for me, the stark fact for me, and the reason I was silenced early on was because early on in exopolitics and ufology, they were already on the bandwagon of extraterrestrials as a national threat. Right. Got it. That they felt that they would not be able to bring out this information without playing that game. Right. And they're still playing it. And it's this remarkable occupation now in ufology by the intelligence agencies. I mean, but then again, the road was paid for them. Also, I think in all fairness, so I I had a, I was speaking at, um, I was speaking at a conference in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, and it must have been, it's when I was living in D.C., so it was maybe like 2014, 2015, something like that. 
and it was a MUFON group in in uh, Pennsylvania. I think this explains a lot. Yeah. And I remember looking out at the audience, and I said to them, talking about exoconsciousness, and I said to the audience, mostly men, how many of you in this room who've studied ufology for some of you decades, you've dedicated your career to it, how, how many of you now believe that the government knows more about UFOs and ETs than you do. And you need to listen to what the government has to say versus what you have to say. And every hand of the room went up. Huh. That is so that's a very different take on inner inner knowledge or inner truth. Oh, completely, right? It is not it is completely no, different. No inner truth or no inner knowledge, yeah. And the whole the spiritual side of things is all about, or offers, can be about. I, I like to think it's about inner knowledge, inner connection, inner knowing, that you know, like all the way back. So that's an interesting way to look at kind of the division or the resistance too. Um, so, I, I don't know. Yeah. So go ahead, so it's, so you kind of you're, you're just, so what happens in that in, in that paradigm in that knowledge paradigm is you actually hijack you hijack yourself. Because you're looking for answers from a system that's never going to give it to you. Well, absolutely. Right. Right. So, and, which, which is the so parallel. You like frustration, I guess. I don't know. You like frustration. Well, <laughs> to me, I, I don't want to name specifics, but the there is a parallel in the in the religious side, right? There are churches, right? That like all all of what you get from God comes through us kind of thing. You know, versus the other, the more, I guess, spiritual orientation. This, I guess, this is as good a time as any. I, I wanted to talk about discernment, and I'm, I, now I'm like looking at that question of discernment through a whole new lens because of what you're sharing around. Where do we get our knowledge from, right? Like what I, what I love about what you do, and you know, I've shared before that the I, I could never remember what it stands for, but that free organization, which I, I guess Edgar Mitchell may not have been as involved in as I thought, but. But either way, what I what I like is the focus on ex, on the experience, right? The, the subjective experience, and I, of course, I see tremendous value in that element of it. Um, so when it comes to discernment, right? Like like it's there are those of us that would look out at what's going on right now in the ufology, the UFO world, the disclosure movement, and we it would like my take is there's there doesn't seem to be a lot of discernment at work. It's hard, you know, it's hard to. It's not, it's, it's not my place to be judging it, but I mean, if I, I there, there's a lot of it that I don't want to have anything to do with, despite my interests and my my own experiences, um, because of that. Uh, so I, so yeah, what what is your take like for you on your journey? Um, what where like well, I guess here's a very concrete question: At what point in your life did the importance of discernment first start to crop up? And Kind of what 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 was some of your experiences, good or bad, or just kind of where did you begin? Do you feel with with it? I I think I, I well I've always like I said I've always been a questioner, so I've always been raised to ask the question. Doesn't matter how who you offend, and it's just a question. Don't mean to be offensive. <laughs> just asking a question. Yeah, what's the harm in asking yeah. a question? Right. So that's I guess that was like my um, early boot camp training from my father on discernment. Uh, but then I think 
going into exoconsciousness and 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 knowing that it was so important to bring forth that subjective inner knowledge first. So this Western world that we live in, especially, I think the whole globe now, quite frankly, it's always objective knowledge first, inner knowledge, maybe, when, when we get around to it. So right. my, my path in exoconsciousness is that if we don't do that inner work and we don't have, don't have that inner discernment initially about ourselves so that would include looking at things about ourselves that we didn't want to look at so you can't look at other things and other people objectively until you subjectively say well there's things about me that i need to be looking at so i spent probably um 10 10 solid years doing that in my life looking yeah. at the things that of myself that were very painful and um depressing to look at Got it. And then um, when I knew that that the importance of subjective knowledge was going to play a major role in exoconsciousness, and I probably figured that about around 2008, 2010, then I knew that that, that, that piece of questioning and discernment had to play a central role or it would all fall into fantasy and entertainment. Yes, that's, that's Which it. Which fits right into the artificial world that's being created, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it, at my college graduation or somewhere back in the day, there was a speaker they brought in and, uh, you know, they're speaking to this huge audience and, He's like, what do you think is the number one export of you know America, right? And I don't know if this was technically true or not, but you know, everybody's like this, that, or the other. And and he's like, no, you're all wrong. He goes, it's entertainment. Entertainment is our number one export. And I've shared in other conversations, and and I know I've shared with you the uh, just this one simple tweet that just really I'm still I'm still working with it. That and the person who's in the community who has scientific evidence that we've been genetically altered and all these things. And he's on Twitter and he's saying, you know, like the UFO community is a lot like um, the worldwide wrestling federation, right? Like everybody pretended it was real. And then when it came out that it was all fake, nothing changed and everybody just kept going. And this, and what I loved about the tweet is he was acknowledging that even though this person is seems from what everything I've gathered over the course of time is seriously craving like legitimate scientific discussion and debate, He's acknowledging that he is part of it, like he enjoys some of that aspect and that it, it provides a sense of, of community. And it just gave me like a different lens because I'm not like that. Like I'm not interested in that dimension of this at all. Um, but when it comes to discernment, uh, there are a lot of people for whom the concept of discernment is, it just doesn't matter. Like they, they all they want is to be entertained or amused or distracted. Saved saved yeah like well and, and that's what entertainment does is it quote unquote saves us from the the hard truths right so a lot like what i love about what you're sharing is a key element of discernment is being really being able to be really honest with yourself about your own thoughts and beliefs and you know and this is why i talk a lot about the concept of thought prisons it's like how do you how do you know right like what is what what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Where does it come from? And the bigger thing for me is 
supporting people in being okay with not knowing, with not believing, with deprogramming, right? With just being in an open space where they can have greater access, I think, to their own experiences and and be more open to listening to the experiences that other people have had. Because we're all so busy putting each other in boxes and putting labels on everything, you know? To feel safe. To feel safe. To feel safe. So how does inner knowledge compete in that landscape? Well, so one of the, I like this question because one of the reasons that I I really put together the exoconscious community is that I believe that if, if authentic inner knowledge that a person has from, from experience, from psychic experience, for example, from extraterrestrial contact, if, if that is to have an evidence to it for its authenticity, for its fair, it's be, uh, 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 can be verified, right. its verifiability, then that's where the co-creation piece comes in. So if you're going to verify it, then let's get busy as a community and do something with it, not just entertain ourselves, but actually do something with it. Bring forth, like, like you're doing, Roger, like bring forth, a podcast, bring forth a healing practice, write a book, make an invention, um, create a community. I, I don't care what it is, but if you're doing it in a co-creative way, how, how, and, and, and then hopefully in the future, we can start looking at that and saying, wow, you know, this community really created amazing things that humans needed at this juncture in history. And they created them with their co-creation. Yeah. And then other people can look at that and say, wow, that works. That that really works. But it's hard no, I love to that. get people from, people like, people like the sociability, people like the entertainment, people like the excitement. It's yeah. hard to get, because Doing a, as you know, as you well know, running a business, launching a product, launching an innovation. What's it take? Work. It takes right. work. It takes being grounded in 3D reality. It takes commitment. It takes trust in yourself. Those yep. are all responsibilities that are he- heavy things to shoulder. If, if on the other hand, you can just be entertained all the time and get a universal basic income. Yeah. Well, and the other, you know, contrast is even when people start out with good intentions and want to bring good things into the world, they're kind of told that you here's how you market it or here's how you make an income and it becomes entertainment in the process. Mm-hmm. Right? Next thing you know, everybody's doing their master class on how to make a million dollars in 6 hours or whatever. And the, the <laughs> truth is some of this is very messy, ambiguous, confusing. Um, The work of getting in contact with your earlier experiences can be disruptive, right? You can start to question things that you might not want to question. Just a quick snippet of that that just popped into my mind, so I I guess I'll share it, is early on, This when I say early on, this is back around 2017, where I was really starting to accept that I have, A, some sort of contact with others other beings through, I, I did a QHHT session, the uh, Dolores Cannon work, right? The quantum healing hypnosis technique and started to 
what what my quote unquote higher self said to me during the session was, um, now that you've done this, this is going to be very easy for you, and you're going to be talking to others. And I was like, hold on, right? Like I, and so then I'm then, then I on my own in private, I would practice. So I was kind of self channeling, and one of the very early early times these beings that I'm communicating with were very, it was a very calm. I was very, I was not a trans channeler. I was conscious. I was aware. Um, but they were talking to me about the moon and they were telling me that, um, you know, they, what they were telling me is the moon's not a natural object. It's, uh, not what we think it is. And that knowing this is going to become very important in the not too distant future. And I was, I finished it up. I wrote it, I wrote, I recorded it. I wrote some things down and I'm like, whatever. Like, I don't, I had no desire to start thinking about because it raises so many other questions. I'm like, if the moon isn't what I thought it was, then what is it? If it's not natural, who put it there, right? Like it just goes and goes and goes, right? And it feels like you're just falling. So to distract myself, I said, I'm just going to like do something dumb. And I'm like, and I somehow like did a Google search or whatever and ended up on this like TV, this uh, internet thing where it was, it looked like an old uh, cathode ray tube TV, like an old TV from the sixties. And you literally could like turn the knob and it said you can watch things from that time, like like from the 60s, 70s, whatever. And so I'm like, oh, I will go back and just watch some silly cartoons, right? Like I'm going to go back and watch like some old Bugs Bunny or something. So I'm randomly flipping the channels and right there was a news conference of the of the crew from the NASA crew, right, that had gone around the moon. And, and I was just like, there is just no possible way to explain how this could happen, right? Like how I'm trying to get as far away from this as I possibly can. <laughs> And I'm watching this news broadcast. Yeah. So it's just, it's, this is an amazing journey, but I, I guess the reason I brought that up is like, it's not fun sometimes, right? Like, I mean, it's, that was, it was funny and that I was even fun. amused. It was, but, but the, but the disruption to your worldview, right? Like it takes a certain kind of courage, I think, or a tenacity maybe. I, uh, I would so, say it takes spiritual spy. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Take spiritual spine. And so so you're sort of talking about that rabbit hole phenomenon. Yeah. Where yeah. you get like sucked down the rabbit hole and and uh, I've been there many times. And now <laughs> now I feel like um I'll get sucked down something and I'll say, "Okay, I'm not going to obsess over it because, you know, obsession's fun. And obsession really get starts triggering all those, you know, chemicals in your body. It's exciting." all of that. Everything's like popping everywhere. Oh, I'm frustrated. Oh, it feels so good. (laughs) I want to, I want to be, I want to stay frustrated. And now I'm just sort of like, okay, um, I want an answer to something. I don't really understand it. And I'm just saying, okay, I'm open to whatever's going to appear. And then I just sort of live my day and keep bringing it up. And, you know, I just, and inevitably it starts, it starts, things start coming in. What you need, yeah, what you need, what what's what's meant to be really will show up. Yeah. And I think the hard part for people is to be open to it. And or and like you said, the the tendency can be to jump around from thing to thing to thing instead of just stepping back and allowing to come in. Um yeah, distraction is a is definitely you know, distraction can play a huge role, but taking people off their path, away from their power, away from their divine, you know, well, I what think I think this- is goes to your, your questions about conspiracy yeah because once you go down that rabbit hole you know there's somebody in that rabbit hole that's just more than happy to give you a carrot of conspiracy <laughs> well that's well and that's what that's the key with the whole discernment topic right is yeah. 
is I, you know, I know early, early on, I was listening to like a radio show by the psychic named Sonia Choquette and she was talking to people. Yeah. She's really interesting. And, um, she was sharing with listeners, like just because somebody is dead doesn't mean they know everything, right? Like, and she was talking about a case of a woman whose husband passed on and she was getting messages from him and she was like so amazed and her husband was having her do financial transactions that were risky. And as it turns out, he had a gambling problem when he was alive and he had a gambling problem after he died. Yeah. And she was like, you know, of course, but like people don't know that. People think, oh, because it's a spirit, oh, they must know everything. Or, and I see the same in the in the contactee communities with some people where, oh, like because it's an alien, like it's telling me the truth or it's leading me towards enlightenment or something. So discernment is like so important on, on all of those fronts. Yeah. Wow. So uh, anything else on the discernment topic? Like, like what would be your guidance for others? Like if they are kind of just starting to open up to this stuff or like if they're kind of newer to the journey, like what? Well, I think it's naive you... to think that people aren't going to go down rabbit holes because they're going to. Right. But yeah, so I guess like it's about, I think maybe it comes back to the inner, the inner knowledge piece, because I think for me, it's, it comes back to what am I here to do? Like, what is my role? What, yeah. right. What's my sphere of influence? What, what, what do I want to, what goals? I, I think also for people just starting out and I, I'd like to do, I want to do more in our community with this, but the importance of understanding how social engineering was birthed and how it was put together, right. because that's going to give, give you um, just some signposts to look for. Totally. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that's all also going back to, you know, if you're an experiencer and you don't know about MK Ultra, or you don't know about all these different programs, mind control programs, you know, the psychedelic programs, if, if you don't know why these programs are put together, who were the primary people that put it together? Right. Going in today to the whole capture of the media as propaganda, then you don't really know that you're living in a prison. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The awareness. Um, yeah. Knowledge and awareness are so key. I was listening. There was a really interesting interview with Kathy O'Brien uh, mm -hmm. that I listened to recently. And, you know, it, it was, I was on the topic of the alien agenda, so to speak, and the narrative. And she, one of the, her comments, right. Is I, the very first thing I had to do was deprogram myself, right. To know what was real or not real. And the person interviewing her shared, something I don't know that I've heard before. And he said, everybody talks about Project Bluebeam, but he goes, my, based on my contacts, he said, it, that whole thing has come out of a real program called Project Blue Bolt, which was all about projecting um, like abduction experiences into inside the mind, right? So the program was mind control around, you know, controlling or manipulating what you feel you're experiencing, not about this like Hollywood style alien invasion in the sky concept, right? So I totally agree. Like educating people. Well, that's is, exoconsciousness. Is you're you're not exoconscious if you haven't gone into this yeah. and allowed yourself to be uncomfortable in that space of, of what's going on. And if you, I mean, when you go to college and you take psychology, you know, you read Marshall McLuhan and all these people, and then then you find out, wow, you know, they were all involved in in. Uh, in Tavistock and the Macy conferences, and they actually, Margaret Mead, I mean, 
if I see another email, be the change. Margaret Mead. <laughs> Margaret Mead was totally immersed in controlling humans as part of the Macy as the Macy conferences, and 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 um and and, and you have to let go of of some of your um people that you idolized in college. Totally, absolutely. Because they they were used in these programs, and they colluded with what was going on. And in terms of discernment, collusion is a huge thing for me. And if you're if you have the slightest bit of awareness that you're colluding with something that goes against health and sanity and humanity, yeah then you better get right with yourself about it. I agree. And that's definitely a huge factor for me and who I work with and who I talk with. And um, I I was always struck by, I, I, I can mention his name because he's public about it. Uh, Whitley, Stry- Whitley Strieber, Strieber, however he says his last name. He's, I, it's fascinating. He's talked openly about his, um, the, the, some of the beings he's involved with and learning from are kind of what others might call negative or dark and he he just is very conscious and very aware, but they but he feels that he receives, you know, gifts. He's got you know like an implant that helps him, and and he's very curious. So he's very conscious and aware and open. But uh, I think that's the key. I, I mean, I appreciate that he's open about it, but because that helps me determine right what to do with some of that information. But I so there's there I there's so many different topics we could branch off on, um, but. I guess to kind of start to bring it a little bit to a close, uh, I think this episode will air around the time of Halloween. I don't want to make it cheesy, but here's some, here's a core thing that comes up for me a lot. I give Whitley Schubert credit for this because he's really helped me um, with what he's worked with. And that is the topic of the continuity of consciousness. So life after death, um, just high level, do you have thoughts on how that fits or doesn't fit with exoconsciousness? You know, this really goes back to my childhood experience because I, um, well, once again, I was raised in a, in a minister's home. So my father always did funerals and it was not unusual for me to go to the funeral home. Right. You know, right. probably my mom wanted to get rid of me and, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> go, go to the funeral home with your dad. So I was, you know, I was around grieving people. I was around dead people. I knew all the guys who worked at the funeral home. I was like, it's kind of a strange childhood, but and, and, you know, there were always people calling the house whose loved ones had died and had tragedies. And I, and I kind of like, I picked up a lot of trauma from that, quite frankly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I never had a problem with death, per se. Right, right. I'm not, not, not to say I didn't grieve or, or, or whatever, but it's just to me, even as a child, it just seemed, it seemed like there, it, there was a continuity there. Right. And so it's probably very natural, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I've, I've never had a near-death experience, but um, yeah, I just, I never so it's had like a Part of my it. curiosity around this is like just, so um, Lilydale, New York, have you ever like, yeah, so I went, I did a trip to Lilydale, New York, and for our listeners, it's a spiritualist community in upstate New York. Beautiful, beautiful place, little, little tiny houses and just kind of a magic, has a magical feel to it. And I was, uh, and they, and everybody that lives there is kind of a, a, a skilled medium, right? So that's, that's kind of the whole, the whole deal there is you can kind of go and schedule and meet with people and have readings. And I 
was doing that. And I was at, this was at the time in my life where I was trying to understand what happened to me when I was very young. So I'm thinking if I'm going to be talking to my great grandma, like, you know, why not ask? And so I would, I, there were a couple, I met with like three or four different people and I would ask during the session, um, Hey grandma, you know, was I abducted by aliens? Like literally just, you know, and the, the medium would just kind of like act like she didn't hear me or she would just kind of keep moving or ask a different question. And then what one person in particular um, did the whole session like that, then turned up, they record it. They, she turned the recording off and then she kind of like pulled me into another room. She's like, I, you know, I just want to let you know, like, you know, we don't really talk about that here. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, we don't really talk about the, the alien things. And then she told me that they have, fo- there's somebody that lives there now still has a photograph of a literal physical ET setting out in the, they have a thing called the enchanted forest or something like that. It's like this kind of magical spiritual forest. And the, apparently somebody came upon an, an, like an alien, like an ET setting on a tree stump, like in the middle of the forest, just kind of having a moment. And they took a picture and they have the photograph of this, but she said that they, they got into some kind of trouble or they were basically the message is like, you're not going to get answers. And I'm like, so in my mind, I'm like, so was my great grandmother answering my questions and you were filtering them out? Like what is going on? So this is like why I'm asking is just like we're talking about the spirituality community versus like the UFO community. It feels like when it comes to life after death stuff, it's like a whole other thing that somehow it's kept separate some way. I don't know. Do you ever get that? Yeah. It's part of that whole, I think it's part of that compartmentalization. You know, I, I saw it all the time, you know, that, you know, mediums really don't talk about extraterrestrials and, uh, near-death experiencers don't really talk about extraterrestrials and yeah that's just it's that's just where where do you think it comes from is it just like our natural human thing that we do or is it like part of the program to keep us kind of separated and i, I think there's a lot of reasons lot. for it i think one of the reasons for it actually is that um in, in in order to operate in the 3d world you have to you know say you invented a widget and you want to bring it to the market well you right. need to concentrate on that widget you can't be going oh, right. off and doing everything else. It has to stay focused on that. So, um, yeah, I think there's that is partially a play, and that's what that's how the material world works, is things get compartmentalized, things get focused on. And, you know, if you're going to build, if you're going to build a rocket, then you better build a rocket. Yeah. If you're going to do exoconsciousness, then you need to do exoconsciousness, and you don't need to go, you know, start doing things that don't apply to that. I think I, I think that's 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 an honest answer, but right. I think that then that that reality of the three D world has also by these mystery schools and by these different secret groups, of which I would put Tavistock and Macy conferences in line with, that they learn they learn human behavior and then they manipulate it. Right. Right. And, yeah. And, yeah, and then and then all you end up with is partial stories, questions, and confusion. And if there's if, if there's one thing that you can do to humans to control their behavior, it's to confuse them. So I'll right. give you a good example right now because we're in the midst of it. Yeah. So the, the the whole Israeli war. So s- supposedly Hamas para did a paraglide into into this area of Israel and, and, and kill people. I think that that really happened. That's a true story. 
now we have to look at it and say, well, then how do they get all the hostages back over the border? Right. Nobody ever asked that. <laughs> like, how did that happen? If, if, if the border's so big that they have to parachute in, how they get back? It's just like, just like the moon landing. You know, oh, we went to the moon and we landed. Well and good. How do we get off? And nobody <laughs> wants to ever talk about that. There are all kinds of things about the moon stuff that oh, people absolutely. don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so it's kind of like, you know, that's confusing. Right. And right. And the thing is, people feel boxed in. Like they have to pick. Like the moon landing was real or not real. They make these yeah. big high yeah. level, like, well, what if it was quote unquote real, but like everything we know about it is wrong, right? Like, right. like you're saying, yeah. things happen in, in Israel. Like things, something happened. Yeah. But, what, but they, they give us pieces or incongruent yeah. things so we get confused and we can't ask honest questions. But I also think that the beauty of exoconsciousness at this point is once you start moving into these different dimensions and you become a multidimensional thinker, you use your critical thinking in a multidimensional way, you end up with, with this kind of panorama of layers Okay, let's take right. the JFK or 9-11. Let's take right. 9-11 because that's the best. You end up with this, this whole field of possibilities right. and layers that were all working at odds, working together, um, undercutting some. But, but you can ha have this multidimensional view of looking down over that event and saying, oh, a lot of the things that I believed aren't true. Right. And now I see layers and now I see layers of motivation, layers of action, layers of inaction. Exactly. You know, Egypt. I We told Israel there was, it was going to happen. That's a layer of inaction. Right. And it's, it's a, you, you, you see life very differently when that happens. So you're looking at the actions and you're looking at the inactions. And, and in religion, we call that the sense of omission and commission. Yep. And I think yep. even, even the, the ancient, you know, religious scholars knew that you had to look at this in a multi-layered way. I've been talking with people recently about the omission side of things with, when it comes to certain teachers or healers or channelers, um, what there, our human nature is to is to focus on what is presented, right? So we're we're focusing on that. And what I've what I've described is that there are people out there that are sharing things that are in and of themselves true, but what but it's what they're not sharing that can take people down a bad path, right? I think I was talking to somebody it's today like about Lily the law Dale. of attraction stuff. Lilydale, exactly. What they what, yeah? What are they filtering, censoring, not sharing that could be super beneficial, right? And the same with like uh, the law of attraction stuff. Is the law of attraction real or true in its own way? Yes, but what is? But it's not the only law, right? So, mm -hmm. my, my teacher would always call it the law of distraction, right? Because <laughs> it's so easy to get yeah. completely off track, right? So that's fascinating. So I love that uh, image of exoconsciousness being a way for people to uh, take the broader perspective, see the see the things that aren't showing up, because we've had to do that for ourselves. And it also gets into the, all the layers of what we bump up against in terms of resistance and programming and, and why it's so hard to share, you know? 
I mean, that my childhood experience, I think, really comes down to the fear and the probably the terror that some of my family members had about some of the things I probably was sharing. And, you know, there's a lot of, and so it's, it, you could say it's programming, but like in some cases, it's just innate human fear of the unknown too. But that very same dynamic, the fear of the unknown, is what calls for us to be brave and courageous and share our experiences. Like the only way you solve that problem is to gain knowledge and gain awareness. Well, Rebecca, I'm so, so happy we had this conversation. Is there anything that I did not ask that you were hoping I would ask? No, I think anything else you want to share before there's a lot. Yeah. There's There's a lot lot more talk all afternoon, right? Frankly, but (laughs) yeah, the transhumanist stuff. I think if we do have another conversation, I think social programming, transhumanism Mm -hmm. would be a great topic. So I have a lot of, Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm still, I've still got a few books from Elena, Alana, Elena, Elena, um, to work through. So I have a lot of, uh, you gave me a whole good list of links and things I can share with our audience in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, is there anything like in terms of somebody wants to engage or, or learn more, like where is there one place out of all that you would kind of direct them right now, like a starting point? Well, if they want to email me directly, um, my emails are hardcastlewright at gmail.com, but they can also go on my exoconscious.com website and there's a, on the contact there's a link to the subscribe to the newsletter, but then right below that, they can email me directly okay. if they want to. Okay, cool. Easy. So yeah, I, if, I'll put all that in the show notes so everybody has easy access to it. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation yeah, and I really fun. want to thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Good. 